then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong there. Here's Johnny. I shot him six times. All the above. Thanks for your life. To a new world of parts and Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert. With me, as always, Inthea. Hello. Good afternoon, Inthea. Uh, happy whatever day we're recording. I hope you're having a wonderful summer. No. <laughs> well, back when things are normal, mm-hmm. a normal thing kids would do is go to camp during summer. I like that you're trying to segue. You're trying to do this whole segue things. Did you ever go to summer camp? I never went to summer camp, did you? I did. I used to go to day camp and I went to sleepaway camp. So I went to a proper summer camp. Sleepaway camp, another horror picture. I know. Did you like it? I loved it. It was very fun. My biggest uh, reference to summer camp is Salute Your Shorts or the movie Heavyweight starring Ben Stiller. Uh, What about Camp Nowhere? I don't know that one. (gasps) Christopher Lloyd and uh, Thomas, what's his name to play 15? Flip Wilson. Fifteen. Thomas Flip Wilson. <laughs> Thomas Wilson. Thomas F. Wilson. <laughs> um, Flip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So today we are going to be visiting Camp Crystal Lake. Now it has been exactly forty years since the movie was first released in nineteen eighty. It came out in the summer of nineteen eighty, and we are now in the summer of two thousand twenty. And that movie is 1980's Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. You may only see it once, but that will be enough. Friday the 13th. Are you familiar with Friday the 13th, Thea? I mean, I, I know, of course, you've heard of it, but do do you know the movie pretty well? Um, I thought I did. Again, it's one of those things. I think, though, with age and my attention span, everything is new, but even it, it, if I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but it had been a while since you've seen it's it, right? It's been a while, yeah, yeah. I saw it in the theater uh, at, the, at the beginning of the year. The beginning of this year feels like it was two years ago, possibly longer. Yes, it does. And nothing feels... Time is... <laughs> Oh, rough right now. So, Friday the 13th, why don't we go through the picture? Let's do this. We 
open with a Paramount Pictures logo. And we go into a full moon with like a cloudy sky and we pan over a lake and we hear some voices singing. Campfire songs? Um, kind of, but I think they're a little bit more Christian-y. Mm. But yeah, we hear some very folky campfire, camp Christian-y songs being played. Wholesome, very wholesome. It is 1958 and we are at Camp Crystal Lake. The people that are singing are singing inside of like a lodge, like a main rec building we come to find out later they're just sitting around in front of this fire we get a point of view of uh, someone walking into a cabin which is the fox cabin so we have different buildings and they're all named something different yeah so great point of view shots and the, the wonderful music score is accompanied by these pov shots yes uh, obviously, these POV shots were heavily influenced by Halloween. In fact, the whole movie was influenced by Halloween. This movie has a lot of influences from the POV shots to the music, because the music almost sounds like a combination of Psycho mm-hmm. and Jaws. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So this cabin is full of a lot of sleeping young girls. The camera is just kind of looking around. And then we get the classic iconic sounds from this movie and the whole franchise, which is that, I don't know if you can, I mean, you can do it, but it's that, does it say something? I don't know. It's that kill, 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 whatever that noise is. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, but it's actually words and we'll reveal that later. Cool. So we get that as our view progresses through the cabin. Now we're back with the singers and there are two of them that are giving each other the sexy eyes and uh, they go off with each other to make out. And speaking of influences, this opening is almost kind of like Jaws. They're sitting at a campfire staring at each other, the boy and the girl, Mm -hmm. the songs. Yeah, I mean, this is like... Again, like Jaws and Halloween have yeah. a baby. So they go off to uh, make out in a much bigger building that houses a lot of like recreational equipment. It seems like hardware. There's just a lot in this building. It almost looks like a barn. It does. Yeah, it's built oddly, but it's not it's not a barn. Well, they have a barn in the third movie, which takes place at Crystal Lake. So maybe mm. I don't know. Potentially. Um, Now we're back at the POV. And I really like when we go from having a steady camera to having us be a person. Right. Um, Because sometimes it starts almost like it's a steady shot. But you can always tell whenever there's something in the foreground that's super close, like we're hiding behind something. Right. Um, And I really like that. So um, we have the POV and we are watching these this couple in this building and they decide to go to an upstairs part and then they say that they do they start to engage in the horizontal mambo (laughs) um where'd you hear that i heard it when i was a youngin probably at camp who knows (laughs) i will say i did go to a christian camp so it's very funny did you i did was that camp onawana is that a christian camp i don't know but we hold it in our hearts So these kids are doing it and we are downstairs uh, and we start to walk up the stairs and we are watching them from around the banister. However, we have made a little creaking noise on our way up and they do hear us. So um, they kind of stop. And the young man who we then make eye contact with tries to kind of like say, we're not doing anything 
blah, blah, blah. And then um, he gets stabbed real bad. We weren't doing anything. We were just messing up. And the gal goes to run and kind of gives a little bit of chase, but she also gets stabbed. And that, I believe, is a freeze frame. Yeah, I like it. It starts to go in slow motion, kind of not a smooth slow motion. No. But it, it slows down and then it ends on a freeze frame and then it pushes into the freeze frame of her screaming, her final look of fear before she's killed. Yeah. And then we get the Friday the 13th logo. A terrific logo, really it is. It's a really great logo. I do think it's a little out of place for this movie, but it starts off at the corner and then comes towards the screen and breaks the screen. And that's when I looked at you and said, was this movie in 3D? And you said, no. (laughs) So that was very confusing why that would have been a choice. So this movie, it was all based on the premise that it was called Friday the 13th. In fact, the filmmakers, they put an ad out in Variety only for Friday the 13th, saying that they were going to make this movie and they're looking for funding. So they didn't have a story. All they had was the title. And I think they actually made that little title treatment as a way to sell the movie. Just Mm. here's Friday the 13th and it breaks the screen. But they had no script. They had no idea what the story was going to be. So I think that was made before the movie was made. That makes a lot of sense because this does not belong. (laughs) But it is good. We then get all of our credits for this movie. Now we're at June 13th, which is a Friday, and we are at the present present day uh it's a there's a little town and there's a gal walking through with a backpack there's no one around any logical sane person i mean i would do this she stops to talk to a dog um (laughs) and she asks this dog for directions and she lets the dog know that she's off to camp crystal lake hey you speak english how far is it to camp crystal lake from there she starts walking further into town and she stops at a diner to ask the locals where the camp is everyone does stop what they're doing they all look at her and they're very shocked um we it's come- like a uh, american werewolf in london yes actually very much is yes yeah but this is before american werewolf uh-huh. we get a little bit of exposition here and we find out that the camp is Um, nicknamed Camp Blood. And we also find out that it's about 20 miles away from this little town. Camp Blood, they're opening that place again? This gal's name is Annie, and uh, she ends up getting a ride from a local trucker who will not take her the whole way. He'll only take her about halfway um, and he'll take off in his his own merry way. As he's leaving her to his truck, they get stopped by a man named Ralph, who is the town drunk slash lunatic. Yeah, he's, he's called Crazy Ralph. Um, He's the one that just uh, gives warnings. and The harbinger. uh, (laughs) Yes, yes, correct. Is that what it was called? As we learned in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. um, He ends up telling her that she has a death curse. It's got a death curse. And he's like super stoked to tell her all of this information. I've never seen a happier drunk. Um, (laughs) He says that he hears the word of God and he'll let people know that they're going to die and gives them warnings. And he just loves to do that whenever he gets drunk and gets on a bender. (laughs) So um, the town kind of dismisses him. I guess he's lived um, through it all. And they kind of just shoo him away. But he's already told her that she's got a death curse on her and that she's going to die. He also has a little bicycle, um, but he watches her go off. Yeah, I like when he rides his bicycle. 
Um, so the truck driver is talking to her and asking some information about her working at the camp. And he asks if her boss told her anything about what happened there. She says no. And he said he gives her the advice that she should quit and that the camp is jinxed. Quit. Quit now. Quit? Why would I want to quit? Camp Crystal Lake is jinxed. Um, we find out, I believe, that Stephen is the one who has hired the kids and is trying to reopen the camp. Right. Um, he ends up telling her that a boy drowned there in 57. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 58, counselors, two counselors were murdered. The water at one point was poisoned, was bad. You couldn't go in the lake, basically. And that there have been several fires at the camp. So something is like trying to keep this camp closed. She doesn't believe that it's Jinx and he pretty much tells her that she's dumb, but she's completely written him off and she's like, it'll be fine, I'll be fine. He's like, suit yourself, but you know, whatever, I already warned you. Um, He ends up dropping her off at the crossroads. It's right next to a cemetery. It is next to a cemetery, which I thought was really great. And I guess it's foreshadowing for this character. We then get a truck that is speeding down the highway and playing some very lively banjo music. And Kevin Bacon is in there. His character's name is Jack, I believe. Um, And he is in there with his lady friend, Marcy and Ned. Um, Ned. Uh, Ned is the most annoying character. (laughs) He's very annoying. Uh, He's one of the worst film characters, in my opinion. He's borderline unnecessary, just because I think all of the kids in this movie are very likable. We don't have to know too much about them. Except Ned. But Ned comes out, and Ned, you're just like, I really, just go away. Like, what is your point here? They're going down the road, and we just get a little bit of, like, pretty pointless exposition, pretty much letting us know that Marcy and Jack are involved, and Ned would like to meet a lady. So they drive down to the camp. Once they get there, they're immediately greeted by Alice and Steve. Um, A shirtless Steve. Yeah, he is chopping, he's trying to get rid of this log. A tree stump. Uh, Yeah, like a, yeah. He's very particular. He has a very interesting way about him that's extremely unsettling and extremely creepy. I don't think he's very creepy to the new camp counselors. He's just, he's very authoritative and he's their boss and he wants them to work immediately, basically. The way this man carries himself, there's an underlying level of creepy that is then amplified a few scenes later. Yeah. I didn't like him right off the bat. I would never work for this man. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, you're the guy that hired me? I need to leave. I don't know. I didn't mind him that much, unless I were Alice. I guess. Oh, we'll get there when we get there. So he puts them immediately to work, and they thought that they would have two weeks until the campers showed up to get settled. But he he is putting the last finishing touches. Yeah, thank you. Finishing touches to the camp. It's really like there's just stuff that still needs to get done. So yeah, so we meet Alice. She is putting up like a gutter and Steve comes over to talk with her. And it's a very weird conversation just because this woman is a good actress. And then he is, I don't know what he's doing. It was you interesting. Mean, you don't know if he's a good actor? Yeah, I can't tell. I don't know if he I was. I thought he just, was pretty good. I like him. Really? So if I just looked at you like I had no soul in my eyes and I just said, Robert, I'm sorry. Even that was too fast. <laughs> 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 when I just said, Robert, 
you're just so talented. <laughs> you're a good artist. But you could see he's mesmerized by the art and he's in love. But he's infatuated. What is the point? What is the relationship between Alice and this man? Well, I think they's what I get from it, it you know, he asks for another chance. I think they were involved and they had some sort of a relationship and she broke it off with him and he wants her back. She's just like, I like Bill now. Thank you very much. But he's a lot older than yeah. than her. He is around 30, I believe. That man is not 30. That man's like 40. Well, he looks 40, but I read that he's supposed to be 30. Mm. And I think the camp counselors are supposed to be 17. So. But, I mean, the camp counselors, but Alice, I think, is older than this. She could be. uh, Whatever the case may be, I think she had a relationship with Steve, and now she doesn't want to be with him anymore. Yeah. And he's pressuring her. I did get that still. I mean, I, I... Really, they set up for something that never pays off. Well, she's interested in the new guy. And she's interested in the new guy. So Steve pretty much tells her that she's, um, we find out that she can draw, which that goes nowhere. That's cool. Yeah, apparently the actress in this movie who plays Alice, her name is Adrian King. She was apparently an artist in real life. So I think they just added this in to give her character a, a background that she's familiar with. They're like, oh, you do art? Well, why don't we just have your character do it? Like they just threw it in there. Yeah, it feels thrown in, shoehorned. Anywho, Stephen very weirdly tells her that she's very pretty. You're very talented. You're very pretty. I don't know. Anywho, a bunch of comments that she doesn't like it there and that she is probably going to go back to California and he asks her to give it another week and he's creepy. We have a point of view watching Alice run to the dock and then she ends up talking to Bill, who we don't get his name at this point, but he's down there. He asks who is at the camp now. And she comments that everyone except for Annie is there. And Annie is currently missing. And Annie is supposed to be the cook. She is. She's supposed to be the cook. What's funny about this scene also is, as you said, there's a POV shot. Someone's in the woods watching her have this conversation with Bill. Mm -hmm. And then she walks by the person later. The POV person is not trying to hide at all. And the camera's probably three or four feet away from her in this shot. So (laughs) this POV doesn't really work for me. Yeah, good point. Uh, We find out that Steve has to go into town and the counselors are being left to finish up for the day. He drives away in a Jeep. So this is kind of important. Mm -hmm. Um, He drives away in a Jeep. Next, we see a Jeep that's very similar to his Jeep. And it pulls up by Annie and picks her up. I don't know if it's... Is it supposed to be the same Jeep or not? No, I don't think it's the same. It looks very similar. Just one has the top down and the other one doesn't at this point. But it's a very similar looking car, which kind of plays in later on. Right. So that's the point. Details aren't important here. (laughs) So this Jeep picks up Annie and we get only her point of view where she's telling them that she's going to the camp and she's just very friendly and starts talking to this person. Uh, It's not Annie's point of view. It's the point of view of the driver that picks her up. Yeah, point of view looking at Annie. Yeah, and this POV works even less for me than the other ones. I hate this POV because the POV is having full conversations with this person while driving. They're never looking at the road. 
Yeah, it's fine. It's a movie. Yeah, but still. It's a movie. She's telling them about um, how she feels about children, what she's going to be doing at the camp. And she notices that they drive past the turn for the camp. She um, remarks about it, makes some remarks, and then she asks them to stop. Wasn't that the road up for Camp Crystal Lake back there? But the driver just ends up speeding up and driving off faster. She jumps out of the car and lands like in a ditch and as a result has hurt her leg. She then starts to run through the woods or limp through the woods. Mm -hmm. And the driver at this point has stopped and is now giving chase to Annie. We get all of the classic tropes of running through the woods and falling because she is hurt and she's also running just to get away in the woods. We do get some really tense music here as well. She stumbles and falls right in front of the killer who then slashes her throat and we fade to white. Yeah, the uh, throat slashing is pretty graphic, actually. Mm hmm. Some of the kills in this movie we see a lot. We see a lot of yeah. a lot of the kill and then some we see none of the kill. We just hear a noise. Right. The makeup was done by Tom Savini, famous Tom mm-hmm. Savini. Mm-hmm who is uh, one of the top makeup people in the business. The makeup, the uh, gruesome, what are the wounds? I don't know. They're good. Yeah. Mm, good wounds. <laughs> so now we're back at the camp and the counselors are working and hanging out by the lake. This is more of a hanging out by the lake, but they are assembling the rest of the floating dock out on the lake. So you can go out a little bit and you have like a little pool in the middle. We also meet another camp counselor and her name is Brenda. And we have a POV uh, watching the camp counselors from across the lake. And it's actually a very far, this lake is pretty big. So I don't know how someone would be watching them from where they are. I mean, you could, but it's not like you're seeing like (laughs) details. But more shockingly is that Brenda looks over and she thinks that she spots us looking at her. Yeah, she thought she saw something. Shortly after, Ned is drowning and this entire team of kids really springs into action and they're they're really good at their jobs. Yeah. Um they set out a little canoe. Kevin Bacon jumps in. Yeah, they're 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 bothering trying to save this idiot. Yeah, and it, it turns out that this is a big old joke that uh, Ned has played because he was hoping that Brenda would give him mouth to mouth. And he um, tries to make out with her. Yeah, he pulled a Michael Squince Polidorus. What's oh? <laughs> <laughs> Wendy Peppercorn. Yeah, yeah. Alice is now in her cabin, and um, she's dried off from the excitement at the lake. And as she is getting dressed, there's a snake that's in her, a very large snake. A slithering snake. In her cabin. And she calls Bill over, who shows up with a machete. And everyone else hears her yelling for Bill, so they show up also. Again, I really like this group of kids. (laughs) (laughs) They all really help each other out, which I appreciate. They do, but they're trying to get this snake. There's so much ruckus. Like Kevin Bacon's like, I'll get it. And he jumps on the bed and breaks the bed. (laughs) Again, I didn't say they were good at whatever they were trying to get done. Well, I mean, actually, they're very good at saving someone from from the lake. The snake, not so much. But I love their intentions. Yeah. I appreciate it. So yeah, they do end up breaking the bed, but they're able to course the snake out. And then, I don't know, is this a real snake? 
whatever. I think we watch a real snake die. They chop up the snake with a machete. Um, Bill it, just like murders it. Yeah, it was a real snake. Oh my gosh. In fact, uh, that is PETA upsetting. PETA was not <laughs> around for this, obviously. I don't know what animal laws were at the time in terms of uh, films, but the owner of the snake uh, sold them the snake and he was there while they were killing the snake for the scene and apparently he was crying yeah i would too yeah gosh i'm so upset right now (laughs) Uh, that's ridiculous that's so stupid yeah oh god you know that scene actually wasn't even in the original screenplay i think tom savini added that in um bill's pretty upset just as i am right now And then we get like a real dumb scene with cops just establishing that the cops are... Actually, you know what? This scene is pretty useless. It's coming up with the cop. This cop is just asking a bunch of questions. He thinks that Ned is on drugs because Ned is being super racist and wearing feathers like a Native American headdress and like a jersey wrapped up like a diaper or something. Oh God, he's being such an idiot. He is an idiot. And yeah, that's when the cop shows up and the cop is asking all these questions about weed and and marijuana and asks what spaceship they got off of. Would you just get off a spaceship or something? Colombian gold man, grass, hash, the weed. The cop is really weird. And then he says, sit on it, Tonto. I told you to sit on it, Tonto. The whole thing's really weird. Yeah. It's really pointless. And then this actor cannot ride a motorcycle because when he goes <laughs> to do that turnaround, I'm like, oh, this man, I'm surprised he didn't break his legs. Yeah. The screenwriter of the movie did not have that scene in the script and was pretty upset when he saw it because he wanted the whole camp to be very secluded. Mm-hmm. But knowing that a policeman is close by, that yeah. gives them a sense of safety that he didn't want the audience to feel. It was, it was dumb. It's pretty pointless. It's just... A cop who's like, you don't do those kind of things in this town. This is, you know, like setting kind of a little bit more of a tone for the town, but it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he does come in, though, and say that he's looking for Ralph. Looking for somebody. Now, who's that? Guy named Ralph. Town crazy. So I guess that's the only thing this man serves for. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could have gotten that information in a different way. I, it's stupid. Meanwhile, our good friend Alice is in the kitchen and she's kind of cleaning up and whatnot. And she opens up the pantry and lo and behold, who's standing in the pantry like a crazy person? Ralph. Crazy Ralph. Um, He's in there and he tells her that they're cursed and that God sent him and tells them to leave. And they're all doomed if they stay. This place is cursed. Cursed. Some of the kids hear this and rush into the building also because the the kitchen is connected to the main lodge rec area for these counselors where we saw the fireplace scene Mm -hmm. earlier on in the movie. So they kind of rush in there and he and Ralph ends up leaving. And I believe he rides his little bike away. Yeah, and it's such a long shot of him riding his bike away. It just never ends. (laughs) It's kind of like when the policeman was leaving. We didn't need to see him do the little U-turn by the lake. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he could have just left. 
Yeah, but it's like he rides <laughs> off for, I don't know, 10 seconds, cuts to Alice looking at him for another few seconds, and then it sits for like 45 <laughs> seconds until we can't see him for the last moment of him <laughs> riding behind the tree. So the gang is now in the kitchen making food, and we just kind of find out a little bit more from them. Like Brenda's a vegetarian, the boys like meat. They have little conversations about this, and our good friend Alice notices that the uh, kitchen light is off and comments that something's not working. Jack says that he'll handle it, and it's a good-sized group of people, but they break off so easily to where all of a sudden it's just one person's alone, Mm -hmm. um, because I think like three or four of them go to check on the generator which is fine. But these three or four people that go to do it, they never revisit this generator room. But yeah, there's a generator. So they're able to get power to the camp. It's now evening time and we get some nice establishing shots around the camp to show what it's like now that there are lights on. Mm -hmm. We also get a little beaver that's in the lake. And I actually really like this shot of the beaver, (laughs) but I'm sure they just killed it or something later. So at this point in the movie, I would like to point out that I thought that Jack's name was Zach and he may have introduced himself as Zachariah. So I have that written down. So I have to keep reminding myself his name is Jack. Is he introduced as Jackariah? That's what I thought once I realized his name was Jack and I'm like, Jackariah, that's an interesting name. Hmm. So Marcy and Jack are walking around all coupley and we are now watching them from the woods. But it turns out it's actually Ned who's watching them. And he is so lonely. Yeah, he's lonely because he wants a lady. He He looks jealous. He, He just looks so lonely. And so he starts walking down the little beachy area I don't, next to the lake or whatever and there's like another cabin up over there and he sees someone walking into one of the cabins so naturally he calls it after them yeah because no one else is supposed to be there except the counselors that he knows mm-hmm. but this wide shot of him seeing movement on the porch of the cabin it's kind of scary because yeah. you do see something but you can't make out what it is Mm-mm, it's just a big old blob Almost like the fisherman in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Happy Fourth of July. (laughs) So he goes in to investigate. And that is pretty much where we leave it with Ned. That's that. That's that. All done. Um, Marcy and Jack end up going right next to this little house thing. And they talk about Ned and notice that a storm is rolling in. It's going to storm. <laughs> can tear down that valley like a son of a gun. Also, Jack has called out for Ned and Ned did not respond. So, yeah. which was very interesting because they're literally right outside. But they didn't know that he was in there. They just called out his name. Mm-hmm. Marcy reveals that, oh, she for some reason talks about this dream, which I guess is some foreshadowing regarding rain. Because they notice that, yeah, the storm is coming through. And she says that she was caught in the rain in this dream. And the rain was actually a bunch of blood. Yeah, throughout most of the rest of the movie, it is raining so hard, mm-hmm. and I can't. I want another rainstorm like that. I, know. I miss the rain. It's summertime's here. <laughs> they decide to head back to the camp as the storm starts rolling in. They go to a cabin, which I believe is the boys' cabin at this point. And uh, Kevin Bacon makes it all romantic. He does. 
they go in and they go to make out. So this scene that takes place in this cabin also gets intercut with a scene with our remaining counselors who are currently making do in the wreck cabin is what I'm gonna call it. And so now we're back with Alice, Bill, and Brenda, and they are by the fireplace. Um, They're all trying to figure out a game they should play because they pretty much understand that Jack and Marcy are not coming back and no one cares about Ned. So (laughs) uh, Brenda, for some reason, suggests that uh, they play Strip Monopoly. We're going to play Strip Monopoly. Which Alice does say she doesn't want to play Monopoly because she hates Monopoly. Yeah. And then Brenda's like, but my way is better. I think this adds an extra level of horror to Monopoly. (laughs) Yes. I do feel like, I don't know, Brenda seems older than the other kids Mm -hmm. and the other counselors. And I don't know, she seems too mature to want to play Strip Monopoly. I was very surprised that Brenda was like, I was very surprised that any of them would engage in Strip Monopoly. Yeah. Again, it's just a level of frustration of me just screaming. And in the meantime, guess... Who owns Broadway? (laughs) And I have to remove some clothing, please. Uh, I wouldn't play that. No, I'd flip over that board and flip everyone off and be like, I gotta go. (laughs) Dumb. And then I'd put on more clothing. Yeah, we could play a version (laughs) where you you put on more clothes. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, Jack and Marcy are making love. Are they making... They're teenagers. They don't know how to do that. (laughs) So she suggests, let's do this. And now we're back with Jack and Marcy. And yeah, they have they have done it. And then while they're making love or doing it, there's a close-up of Marcy squeezing his tuchus. There is. There's a lot of groping. <laughs> she does get a good palm full of his tuchus. Um, <laughs> she has bacon to, tuchus. Bacon tuchus. His little... Um, Roasted hams. I wish Kevin Bacon's character got set on fire because then we could make the joke that I just wanted to wake up to crackling bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Sue me. So while they're still doing it, the camera pans up. Yeah. I laughed because it was it was a split second of thinking that poor Ned had made it back to the bunk and was horrified. <laughs> just and he's like, just staring off, just yeah. like, oh, can you believe it? But then the shot pulls out a little bit and his throat slit and he's like super dead. <laughs> so yeah, I, he's, I, he's dead at the top bunk while they're uh, below. Yeah. So I think I laughed and I went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a complication of a series of complicated feelings there. So Marcy gets up. She got to go pee. She leaves um, because there's no bathrooms in these actual cabins. She yeah. has to go off to use the restroom. Yeah. So we have our good friend Jack who is lying in bed, puts his shirt on. I guess a detail for someone who's going to make a torso. Because um, <laughs> I was like, he didn't need to put a shirt on. But he I know. He says it's cold that he puts on the skimpiest shirt. <laughs> it's a tank top. Yeah. But yeah, so he's laying there. He lights a little cigarette, a little ciggy, and um, a drop of blood falls on him. And before he can even investigate, I love this. It's such a great death. A hand comes up from under the bed, holds him down, and then his throat gets stabbed through the bed like this is some superhuman strength (laughs) through the bed through his neck 
and up out over the side and it's a it's an arrow from a bow and arrow <laughs> Yeah, it impales his neck and comes out the other side. Uh, to achieve this effect, Kevin Bacon was, he had his head sticking out of the bed and his body was underneath with a fake body lying on the bed. Tom Savini was under the bed with him too. So to do this effect, they had someone, you know, stab the fake neck. And then Tom Savini had this hose that he would blow through, which would have the blood spewing out. And it didn't work correctly. It came out all bubbly, but they only really had one chance to do it. So that's the version they used in the movie. So it's perfect. Yeah, it ended up being okay, but it wasn't exactly how he had imagined it would be. Mm, gurgling blood works for me. So now we're with Miss Marcy and she is in the bathroom. Someone walks in as she is using one of the stalls and she hears the door, but she thinks it's Jack. She goes to investigate, but finds nothing. She is trying to wash up and she hears a noise and she thinks it might be Ned. She goes to investigate again and pulls these shower curtains and finds these showers empty. However, when she looks, she only looks at two showers. Mm -hmm. There's more, I believe. But when she's looking at the second one, we do see a shadow of an axe behind her. And then she turns around and just, you know, screams in a very interesting way and gets an ax to the head. A great gory shot of her face with an accident. Yeah. <laughs> now we're back at the strip monopoly. And I said that it seems that Brenda and Bill seem to not be doing so well. Really, Alice seems to be thriving. I think Bill is doing the worst. He's not wearing a shirt and possibly mm-hmm. no shoes. I'm not too sure. Well, he took his boot off. Just as Alice is supposed to pay up and remove her shirt, the wind kicks open the door and they're all startled from their game. Brenda realizes that she left her windows open and pretty much calls it a night and says that she's going to go back to her room. Yeah. Now we're at this diner and we see Steve has stopped in during the storm and she he's drinking some coffee and talking with a waitress. Yeah, the waitress seems so nice and it seems like they know each other well. He mm-hmm. goes in there often. I don't know. I actually wrote down in my notes that Steve had such a great evening. It seems like such a wonderful time to be in this diner while it's raining outside, just having this wonderful meal all by himself. Yeah. He probably um, had a French dip. The uh, server waitress. I feel like this lady would be a waitress more than a server. Yeah. She's great. Um, I really like her. But she wants him to stay because the storm is just so crazy. But he says he needs to go back because the counselors need him. So he drives back. We have a little bit of a moment where his car does not start. So you can tell that he has some car trouble. But he's able to get it to turn over and he drives on out. Now we're back with Brenda and she has gone into the bathroom. The restroom that our good friend Marcy was just murdered in. Mm -hmm. She hears a little bit of movement and she looks over at the at the shower but marcy's body is now no longer there and she kind of just ignores the feeling that she feels and goes back to brushing her teeth Mm -hmm. and then we get another shot of the curtain and we see a little hand come out and kind of open the curtain a little bit yeah, that shot's kind of scary. Actually. It is. It's, it's like one of my worst fears. <laughs> Aside from 
Candyman, someone coming through. <laughs> yeah. The the mirror. The mirror. It's also looking at any negative space and seeing just the beginnings of something come through. (laughs) (laughs) So she looks back and she sees nothing um, and she leaves. Really, it turns out that she didn't need to be there, honestly, because later on we find out there is a sink or something in the cabin that she's (laughs) staying in. So but I guess for that little feeling um well we never saw them use it and we know that maybe they didn't have the water turned on to that sink maybe but marcy was able to turn on the water real easily on that sink that they did use in the restroom but she no she walked in she never used the bathroom i don't know anywho whatever steve is now stranded on the road and a police chief shows up and gives him a ride to the camp he says that he'll just show up tomorrow with the kids to grab the car yeah now we have a pov of someone watching brenda in her cabin and we are outside brenda is writing a journal writing letters i don't know but she's at a little writing desk she then gets ready to go to bed and we see her light a little candle and uh, she decides to read by candlelight in her bed Mm -hmm. while she's doing that we hear a little girl a little a child yell help me And this freaks Brenda out. This is the scariest scene of the movie, I think. Again, another thing that I'm like, no. Yeah, it's a scary voice. (laughs) She goes outside to investigate and calls out hello and follows the voice that says, I'm over here. So if anything ever tries to lead you through the woods like that, just don't do it, is really the moral of the story. I'm wondering how the killer did that. How the killer got the voice to travel yeah to travel like maybe the The killer killer was yeah maybe the killer was always one step ahead moving into different rooms doing the voice the killer's always one step ahead (laughs) and one jump ahead (laughs) no oh i got that i got that (laughs) reference the voice says that they're over there over here and to help them and to come quickly oh earlier on in the movie when we meet brenda she's at an archery range she is putting up the targets and our not so good friend ned irresponsibly shoots an arrow as she's just placed down the target and she actually yells at him because that's a real horrifying thing for people to for a person to do yeah he shoots at inches inches from her life yeah so that happened earlier. I didn't bring it up because I didn't think it was important. Yeah. But now we estab- we already established that area earlier on in the movie. And now we are revisiting it because our good friend Brenda now finds herself in the middle of the archery range. Yeah, a little bit of a fun fact of when she was shot at with the arrow by Ned. Tom Savini actually shot that arrow. Oh, wow. I like how this is played out because we see this hand go to a light switch and it turns on all the lights for the archery range. Yeah, bright lights. Uh, yeah. Very, like a like a stadi- stadium lighting almost. Mm-hmm. So it lights up Brenda. She's in the archery range. It cuts away as we hear her screaming. We now cut to Alice, who is pacing in the lodge that we saw her in earlier and seems a little anxious. Our good friend Bill has come back in. He actually runs back in, letting her know that the generator is working. So he's just kind of taking care of stuff and making things that are things are okay around the camp. Alice tells him that she heard a scream and that the archery range lights were on. 
they decide that they're going to go check on Brenda. Bill actually wants to go, I believe, by himself. And she says, let me go with you. So they go to the cabin and they look around for her. But the only thing that they find is a bloody axe in one of the beds. In Brenda's bed, I think. Yes, I believe so. What is going on? So they go to the boys' cabin looking for Jack and they find it empty. So there are now four people that are missing they go to the restroom and they're looking for everyone at this point they're there and they're just screaming for anyone Mm -hmm. and alice thinks that they should call someone they end up going to the office where they have to break in and i like how we see them they break in and we never go into the office with them but they try the phone lines they try the landline the paid for one whatever and then the payphone and as they are moving through we're kind of we're outside and we're following them but then we kind of go up a little bit and we're following the actual phone line and we see that the phone line was cut so they can't call anybody yeah they try to use ned's car and they find that it's not working Mm -hmm. um alice wants to leave but bill says that it's 10 miles to the nearest crossroad and that they should just wait for steve speaking of steve we're now back with steve and he is with the chief the police chief yes the police chief and he gets a call that actually now he has to go back um help out at the scene of something yeah i think it was a, a car accident that was yes. 15 minutes away the the other way. Yes. So he drops off Steve and takes off. Pretty much tells Steve that he can walk the rest of the way. So we see Steve run walking and he gets up to the Camp Crystal Lake sign where he is blinded by someone holding a very powerful um, flashlight of yeah. some sort. And when he's actually able to clear their face, which we don't see him we only see him we we are pretty much standing wherever that person's standing but it's not necessarily the point of view of this person it eventually becomes the pov okay it seems like he kind of knows this person yeah he says uh oh hi what are you doing out here yeah oh hi you doing out in this mess Um, and then uh, we hear a sharp noise and pretty much Steve's gotten murdered. Yeah, he I think he kind of lurches forward like he was stabbed in the stomach. Mm, okay. We then get the POV of someone walking to the generator and all of the lights cut off from the camp. Bill sets up some lamps and goes to check on the generator. So he goes to wake up. Because I guess Alice just decided to go to sleep or something. You know, they were kind of waiting it out and she fell asleep on the couch. And he decides to just kind of leave her on the couch while he's just going to quickly go check on the generator. Mm -hmm. But he leaves a little kerosene lamp with her and he takes his. He tries to get it to work. He's troubleshooting and he finds that it should really work, but it's not. So we hear some ominous music that starts to play. And then it cuts from there to Alice, who calls out scared for bill because she was just kind of startled when she woke up and she realized that the lights are off and that bill went to go check on the generator she goes in the kitchen to fix some coffee for her and bill here we go and um we follow her throughout the kitchen and it builds a lot of tension and the way that it pans back and forth you would think that we would see something and then it would disappear there's tension because you're expecting a jump scare to happen eventually Uh but it doesn't happen so it's just a five minute scene of her making coffee which 
just lingers for too long. It really does. Anywho, she goes outside to find Bill. And when she goes into the generator room, she finds his poncho and his lantern, but no Bill. So when she walks outside, she closes the door and there's our good friend Bill. But he's super dead and he's arrowed through the door. Yeah, he's pinned up to the door and he has an arrow through his eyeball. She sees this and takes off running and screaming. And she ends up back at the lodge wreck building. She tries to secure the door closed. Actually, like the way that she does this by tying it. Yeah, I would never be able to figure that out. No, I would have just <laughs> laid down and died. I'm like, I guess this is how this is happening because the door opens the wrong way for me. Yeah. There's no lock on the door, so she has. There happens to be a long rope in there, so yeah. she uh, hoists it up to the rafters and ties it to the knob of the door, so there's no um, leverage as you pull the door open. Leverage, leverage. I'm British. You're not. You're from the valley. <laughs> um. So she also barricades the door and closes the curtains for the windows and makes sure that the windows are locked. She walks through with a bat to check the kitchen and looks for a weapon. So she has like a like a moment of calm, which is whatever. It's just set up very funnily. Um, but then uh, Brenda's body gets thrown through the window. And surprisingly, that is not a jump scare. Like it is, but it could have been more powerful, but... Yeah, it's the camera sort of pans over too much to the window so you know something's going to happen. Yeah. And then, yes, it's just not as jumpy as it could have been. Uh, but it is a good moment. But interesting piece of trivia. The body coming through the window was not the actress who played Brenda. It was Tom Savini. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> She sees what she thinks is Steve's Jeep. Yeah. She runs out. Pull up and she runs out. Well, yeah, she runs out of the um, cabin as she sees lights outside. And then, yeah, the Jeep is pulling up. And a woman walks out. This woman's got some teeth. And she introduces herself as Mrs. Voorhees. It's Mrs. Voorhees. I'm Mrs. Voorhees, an old friend of the Christie's. We find out that she is friends with the Christies, which is um, Steve's last name. Yeah, she used to work for them or something. Yes, she used to work there. Alice tells her that they're all dead. And Mrs. Voorhees says that she needs to go check this out and that she's not afraid. She sees Brenda's body and then she gets very, very dramatic. Oh, my Lord. And it's a very odd response that she has. And she ends up bringing up this young boy that drowned because the counselors were busy, as she put it, making love. But they're teenagers. They don't know how to do that. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. <laughs> um, and... She says that she knows because she was the cook when it happened. And she gets this far off look in her face. And we see these flashes of like where it's a close up of her face. And then we see these flashes that kind of go over it and cut to it of the little boy, Jason, drowning. Yeah. And he has some deformities on his face. He does. He's bald. Mm-hmm. 
we find out there that Mrs. Voorhees was his mother. Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. She blames Alice and tries to stab her. (laughs) Yeah, so now we know Mrs. Voorhees is the killer. Mm -hmm. I like her grunts and yells (laughs) but it's also funny like every horror movie once the killer is revealed all of a sudden they're a lot more mortal and and it's easier to fight against them there is so our good friend alice subdues her she tries to take off in the car but what's in the car oh my gosh our dead friend annie annie so alice takes off and who should drop in super dead steve Yeah, it comes from, I don't know, a branch from above or something. It just drops into frame. But again, this is very reminiscent of the climax of Halloween where Laurie Strode is running around and all the bodies are popping out of everything. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees gets up and speaks like Jason, saying, kill her, mommy. Kill her, mommy. Kill her. She speaks in Jason's voice, which is kind of like that kid voice she was doing earlier, saying, help me, help me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so she changes her voices and it's very reminiscent of psycho very but obviously it's the opposite where instead of the boy imitating his mother it's the mother imitating the boy yep as jason she's saying kill her mommy kill her and that's where we come to the soundtrack that famous jason theme is you know it sounds like but what it really is, the vocals were done by the composer. Tom Savini. <laughs> no, Harry Manfredini. And <laughs> that sounds like Tom Savini had, a, had an alias. Yeah. <laughs> but it's supposed to, the, the soundtrack, the score is supposed to be sort of the voices that Mrs. Voorhees is hearing and what it's really saying is kill 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 mom 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 so kill kill mom 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 it's not even kill them it's kill mom interesting so yeah so she has a whole conversation with herself and our good friend Alice uh, currently all the lights are out and our friend Alice is able to duck into that giant wreck barn supply building and she finds a gun. However, this gun does not have any bullets in it. Mrs. Voorhees turns the generator back on and is able to locate Alice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Anne Ramsey. <laughs> she sounds like Anne Ramsey in Goonies. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let me so, see that. <laughs> Alice frantically is looking for bullets as Mrs. Voorhees finds her. We have a close-up as of Mrs. Voorhees, and she is talking like Jason. Oh, oh I love this. She stalks around and finally uh, gets to Alice, and uh, she, like, slaps the crap out of Alice. Yeah, I love these slaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's so many sequential slaps. A regular slap, a backhanded slap. I'm surprised she didn't do the famous Mo Howard crisscross slap. <laughs> That's unnecessary. That was not funny. No. I was laughing until you got to that. Why do you hate the Stooges so much? I don't know. <laughs> I they're love the Three com- Stooges. They're beneath They're beneath the comedy that I enjoy. Oh, no. Don't say that to me. They're comic geniuses. They are not. So, yeah, Alice is able to kick her away and runs away. 
She then is able to hide and kind of just fake her trail like, um, and Mrs. Voorhees runs past where Alice is hiding. We see a full moon and Mrs. Voorhees, Voorhees is saying, kill her and she has no place to hide. Alice takes a jog back to the lodge and turns out all of the lights. Then she hides in the pantry. Yeah, back in the pantry. Yeah. Where Crazy Ralph was earlier. Yep. I like that we see this happening from just where she is. So we're in the pantry with her. And we hear Mrs. Voorhees running through the lodge looking for her, looking Mm -hmm. around. Then she leaves. So we think that she's gone. Alice kind of relaxes, but she still stays in Mm -hmm. the pantry. And we then get this shot of like, we're looking up. We're on the ground looking up and we see um, behind our good friend Alice, we see the doorknob starting to turn because Mrs. Voorhees is trying to get into the pantry. Yeah, and I believe this shot is heavily mimicked from the classic shot in Halloween where Laurie Strode is all relaxed and Michael rises in the background. Yeah, and then I think we get like a Jack Torrance situation because then yeah. Mrs. Voorhees breaks through the door. These came out around the same time, so I don't. that probably is just a coincidence because yeah. I don't think they would have had that to base it on. Yeah, but what if they did? Either way, yeah. it's very good. Oh, gosh, I love this so much. But so Mrs. Voorhees tries to machete her way into (laughs) the pantry. Um, She is able to open the door and Alice hits her with a cast iron skillet and she has like a head wound and she falls over. So we see um, Mrs. Voorhees is bleeding from the head and Alice goes now to the lake and she just sits down by a canoe like i think that alice really um takes too many breaks (laughs) during all of this well she's tired (laughs) and mrs Voorhees is able to sneak up on her from here they fight and mrs Voorhees did show up to this fight with a machete which Mm -hmm. alice is able to get control of because it gets thrown to the side she gets it but she machetes off mrs Voorhees's head (laughs) It's a great moment. Again, it goes into slow motion like at the beginning. I love and then it. the music is building. The music's really good here. And then you get a big swipe and that kappa is detated. Yeah. And uh, you just see her hands grabbing for it. That's my favorite. <laughs> I normally hate this type of slow motion. We've talked about this, but I really like the way this is done. And I love her hands grasping. Yeah. Well, the slow motion moments like that in the finale are pretty iconic to the Friday the 13th franchise because they redo that lots of times. Mm. Like in the fourth movie, uh, Corey Feldman does it as he's hacking away at Jason. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, his kappa is detated and Alice is shocked that she did this, which I like that we see her being very human, which Mm. I like Alice. She, aside from the fact that she takes a few too many breaks, she's very human and has very human reactions. She then decides that she's going to canoe her way away from all of this. And we get some very somber music. It is now the morning and our good friend Alice is passed out in the canoe and she's got one little hand in the lake. Yeah. And this is the best scene in the movie. Um, The police arrive and they call out to her from the shore. I think it's inaudible to us, though. Yeah, we can't hear. It's just this very loud music that 
but it's calming music. It's very hopeful music. Yeah. And she wakes up and she looks around a little bit. <laughs> and uh, and then Jason pops up out of the water and uh, grabs a hold of her and drags her down to the abyss. <laughs> and it is my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a great jump scare. <laughs> Little boy Jason, about, I don't know, what is he supposed to be, 12 years old or something? I thought he was like nine. Nine. Uh, he's all deformed with... Uh, um, now his skin is all like black and yeah, just yeah. peeling off of his body. Yeah, he's zombified almost, and it's scary, and he looks scary. It does, because when we saw him earlier on, he didn't have... All he had was this deformity, but he was still... His skin was of normal fleshy color. Yeah. And now that he's pulling out of the water and pulling her in... He's all swampy. It's all Yeah, he's just not looking good. But yeah, so he um, pulls her into the water. Um, she wakes up and it was all a dream yes she's in the hospital and gets subdued by the nurse and the doctor she asks if everyone is alive and we find out that um they're not and she asks if jason is dead too and says that she was attacked by him the uh, doctor looks a little freaked out and he's like nope we did not find anyone the policeman says that oh sorry thank you that they never found any boy she says that he's still there and she stares off into the distance then he's still there yeah then we get a really great shot of the lake and it's panning and also pushing into the water yeah we um, wonder what's down there and then we get a few little bubbles slash ripples that come out as we fade to black oh, i don't even notice that yeah it's just a little little bubbling of this like the little disturbance on the surface of yeah. the water um and we fade to black and that is the end of friday the 13th what do you think um, I enjoy this movie. There's a lot of pregnant pauses. Oh, I think I didn't comment on it. When Brenda gets thrown through the window, we then spend like 20 years watching Alice's reaction. Oh, yeah. Just staring as She at just her. like stares and goes <laughs> at it for uh, just too long. Yeah. And then it's like, it's weird because I almost, her reaction is almost like do i put it back like she's trying to figure out what to do like should she lift the body <laughs> and throw it back outside or what or check the body who knows but her reaction is just a little too long yeah you know i'm not a huge fan of this movie i there's moments that i like i i like the ending a lot mm-hmm. i like mrs Voorhees, but i love mrs Voorhees. yeah even though the camp counselors aren't bad except for ned it's just not much of a story obviously like the story doesn't happen until the last 10 minutes we do get all of the exposition (laughs) as to why this is all happening yeah yeah this is where he shows up and it's like i'll let you know what i'm doing right now yeah so it's just it's not one of my favorite movies and in fact the friday the 13th series is probably my least favorite of the main franchises uh meaning halloween friday the 13th nightmare on elm street texas chainsaw massacre friday the 13th would be my least favorite same I like Texas Chainsaw. I do too. No, I I like Halloween. Well, Halloween's my favorite, obviously. Yeah. But Halloween does have some bad sequels. But (laughs) I think no way. (laughs) I think overall, the Friday the Thirteenth movies are the weakest movies. But he went to outer space. He did. Outer. My favorite Friday the Thirteenth movie is Freddy versus Jason. 
And that movie's not good. (laughs) I know. But it's so fun. I like the third one, too, the 3D one. I think Jason is that Manhattan? No, no, that's the eighth one. Jesus. This one is just called Friday the Thirteenth Part Three D, I believe. Were we watching the video where it was for Jason Takes Manhattan or whatever it's called, and then he went on their Arsenio Hall show? I've seen that. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is good. The term deranged sociopath. It's thrown around a lot by the media, but it really applies to my next guest. Starting today, you can see him in Friday the 13th, Part 8. Jason Takes Manhattan. Please welcome Jason. Yeah, so I I appreciate how iconic Friday the 13th became, and I like it for that. And yeah, there's always fun moments in Friday the 13th movies that I enjoy, but want to hear a little bit about the backstory? Sure. Let's go into it. Let's do it. Friday the 13th, 1980. As we said, this was made in the wake of Halloween. Halloween became a huge success. In fact, I believe it was the top grossing independent film of all time when it came out. Wow. The producers of this movie, as I told you, had this title, Friday the 13th, and they wanted to just make a movie based on that title and got it sold that way. Hmm. So they knew they were doing a Halloween ripoff or a more polite term would be homage. Hmm. Now there was an original title or people think it's an original title and that is called Long Night at Camp Blood. Okay. It's in fact not an original title but it's a working title. And what that means is when they were creating the script That's what they called it, just to keep the mystery around that this is that Friday the 13th movie that got sold, Mm. you know. Mm -hmm. The movie was filmed at a real camp in New Jersey, which is still open to this day. Oh, New Jersey. Yeah. And that camp is called Camp Nobi Bosco. All right. Nobi Bosco. (laughs) It was a Boy Scout camp, and uh, they were allowed to film there as long as the production made a sizable donation to the Boy Scouts of America. Hmm. So they did. Okay. All of the sets of the movie did not have to be built. They were actually already there. Pre-existing? They were pre-existing rooms, cabins at the camp, all except one set. One set was created. Can you figure out which one that is? The bathroom. That's it. (laughs) The bathroom was created for the movie. So since this was a real camp, there were real working facilities and real cabins, so lots of the cast and crew actually stayed at the camp during production. The budget of this picture was $550,000. Not bad. Half a million, that is. Uh Uh-huh. A little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And filming lasted for 28 days. Oh, wow. Sort of a long shoot. Mm Mm-hmm. The director of this movie is Sean S. Cunningham. He also produced the House movies. Remember House and House 2, the second story? <laughs> Man, again, not the Kid and Play movies. Yes, not I the Kid really and Play movies. I really did think it was the Kid and Play movies for a second. No, the horror pictures, House. Yeah, yeah, And he produced some of the Friday the 13th sequels. It is written by Victor Miller. I told you he wasn't crazy about the addition of the cops in this movie, uh-huh. which he didn't put in. An additional writer came on, an uncredited writer who added some things like that. 
as we know, the child in this movie is Jason Voorhees. Mm -hmm. His name is Jason because it is a combination of Victor Miller's kids' first names, Josh and Ian. But it's not like he made up the name Jason. <laughs> I know. He just wanted something that could sound kind of like it, I guess. And the last name Voorhees was a girl that he went to school with, apparently. That's cool, but then... Sure. <laughs> and then Victor Miller went on to write lots of soap operas. Okay. Let's talk about the cast. Let's. Playing Alice Hardy, we have Adrian King. For the role of Alice Hardy... You know who initially auditioned for the role? Who? Sally Field. Really? Yeah, can you imagine? Huh. She mostly got the part not only because she had solid acting skills, but her scream won her the part. Oh, okay. She also auditioned for the roles of Brenda, Marcy, and Annie. So she auditioned for all roles oh, until they cast her as Alice. Initially, she didn't want to do the film because of the violence, but she uh, realized she needed a job and took it anyway. Okay. She also returns for Friday the 13th Part 2. I didn't see that she was in much else, but she didn't go beyond Friday the 13th Part 2. And a big reason for that is when this movie came out, Friday the 13th, she had a fan that stalked her. <gasps> no. And she uh, did not like that, so mm. she quickly got out of the series. Yeah, I don't blame her. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Playing Marcy, we have Janine Taylor. And the only other credit I saw on IMDb was for a TV movie, so she oh. hasn't really done much in terms of acting. Interesting. Robbie Morgan plays Annie. She didn't do too much else I saw, except before... She was in Friday the 13th. As a kid, she was in a great movie called What's the Matter with Helen? Oh. With uh, Shelley Winters and Debbie Reynolds. Shelley Winters. And Judy Holliday. <laughs> no, not Judy Holliday. <laughs> Robbie Morgan was the special guest at the Friday the 13th 40th anniversary screening I went to earlier this year, and she had announced that she was going to go later this year to the original camp where they filmed the movie and they were going to have all these festivities for the 40th anniversary, which I'm sure has now been canceled, unfortunately. Yeah, a doodle Yeah. Robbie Morgan, she only shot for one day. Oh. She did all her work in one day. That makes sense. Kevin Bacon plays Jack, and he went on to be a huge success. In terms of horror or monster movies, uh, we also saw him in Hollow Man and Stir of Echoes. Do you know of any others you could think of? Stir of Echoes, is that the one with the girl on the wall? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Richard Matheson story, I think. Mm. Harry Crosby plays Bill. He's the son of Bing Crosby. Oh. Very famous actor and uh, singer. Ichabod Crane. Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. Uh, lots of people thought that he was hired to be in this movie because he was the son of Bing Crosby, much in the way that Jamie Lee Curtis got Halloween, being the daughter of Hollywood legend Janet Lee mm -hmm. and Tony Curtis. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. He, he is the son of Bing Crosby, but the studio, when they were making this movie, didn't, they must have known, but they didn't really even think of that as being something that they could promote. So they never even used it to their benefit. Hmm. He hasn't been in too many other things I saw online. Uh, I do know uh, when he is pinned to the wall, pinned to the door with the arrow through his eye, it was a very uncomfortable makeup for him that was actually damaging and hurting his eye. Oh my gosh. And you could see his eye twitching in the movie. Hmm. 
Lori Bartram plays Brenda. This was her last movie. She seemed to retire after this. But before this, she was in a bunch of episodes of Another World TV series. Mark Nelson plays Ned, the worst character in the movie, I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this was his first movie, and he's had a few small roles and other things of note. Things that I saw that come to mind are the first Wives Club and episodes of Law and Order and Law and Order SVU. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> we have Peter Brower playing Steve Christie. He was in several soap operas. And Steve Christie, the character name, is named after the associate producer of this movie, Steve Miner. Steve Miner went on to direct, I believe, Friday the 13th Part 2. But what I know him best from, mostly, he's the director of Halloween H2O. So he's really the only person to cross franchises from Friday the 13th to Halloween. Franchises. He also directed episodes of The Wonder Years. Mm. Playing Crazy Ralph, we have Walt Gorney. He was also in Part 2, and he actually did the opening narration for Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. In earlier scripts, he wasn't called Crazy Ralph. Want to take any guesses as to what he's called? Nope. (laughs) His name was Ralph still. Okay. His name was Ralphie Ratboy. Glad they went with Crazy Ralph. (laughs) And finally, playing Mrs. Voorhees, we have Betsy Palmer, who actually got top billing in this movie. Now, if I saw Betsy Palmer got top billing in this movie, Betsy Palmer was a name that people kind of knew back then. She did a lot of stuff in the 50s and 60s, so she she had some fame to her. And if I see she has top billing and I'm like halfway through this movie and I see she's not in it, I think it would be pretty obvious that she's the killer. Mm. I honestly would have forgotten by how late she comes into the movie. I would have 100% forgotten that she was in the movie. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. I mean, as soon as she showed up, though, I'd be like, oh, yeah, she's the killer. Yeah, but I I do like her in this movie. The movie was originally offered to Estelle Parsons. I know her best from Roseanne. She's Roseanne's mom in the show. Oh. And you know who else was being considered for this role? Hmm. Shelly Winters. (laughs) <laughs> but oh, Shelley Winters. <laughs> but the role went to Betsy Palmer, who I said did a lot of stuff going as far back as the 50s. Uh, I know her mostly from game shows from the 50s through the 70s. Uh, she's on some episodes of What's My Line and other things like that. When she first read the script, her first reaction was, as she says, what a piece of shit. <laughs> and she threw the script of the garbage. Mm-hmm. But... She really needed a new car. So she picked the script out of the garbage can and she accepted the part because she needed the money for this car and she thought no one would ever see this movie. Little did she know this is the thing she is most famous for. Mm. As I told you throughout this episode of the podcast, the makeup is done by Tom Savini. He also worked on Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Creepshow, a, a bunch of... 80s horror movies uh he became sort of a cult icon he also acted in a bunch of stuff from like things from dusk till dawn and planet terror and lots of tarantino stuff but he was hired for this movie because the producers really liked his work in dawn of the dead very nice 
Uh, I told you before, the music is done by Harry Manfredini. If you <laughs> aka Tom Savini, <laughs> <laughs> I told you he did the vocals for that kill, 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 mom, mom, mom. Mm. Um, he also made the decision for this movie that music would only be present when we see the killer or the killer is around mm. the POV shots. So all the shots of just the camp counselors by themselves, there's no music unless you count like the banjo music, you know, like stuff coming out of the radio. He has composed a ton of things throughout his career, including pretty much all the sequels to Friday the 13th, Swamp Thing, and the House movies. I love the score for House 2, the second story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So some deleted scenes. Initially, the murder at the beginning of the movie from 1958 was going to be a little bit different. You know, we see the movie, uh, it just freeze frames on the girl screaming. Yes. And then it goes to the title. There was going to be more of the scene of them getting killed. In fact, the the kids were going to fight back with the killer, causing the killer to lose their pinky finger. And then when we see Mrs. Voorhees at the end of the movie, we see that she's missing a finger. And that was going to be our first clue as to Uh this is the killer. Uh But they ended up not doing that because they couldn't really get it to look realistic enough when uh, her finger would be chopped off and... You just don't really need it. Then I want to talk a little bit about the classic ending, the best scene of the movie. Obviously, it's inspired by Carrie, which had a similar (laughs) shock ending where the hand comes out of the grave. But this classic ending, it it really, I think that ending is what really made the movie successful. Mm -hmm. I think without that, it would have, it could have been forgotten. Mm, Okay. But there are three people that all take credit for putting that scene in the movie, so no one knows exactly how it originated, but screenwriter Victor Miller, Tom Savini, and an uncredited screenwriter named Ron Kurtz, uh, or Kurz, they all take credit for it. Mm. So I told you the budget was $550,000. It ended up making $39,754,601. So it made a lot of money, and it spawned a bunch of sequels obviously because of that when they decided to do a sequel for fight of the 13th part two the motion picture association really told them to scale back the gore because after this movie the original fight of the 13th came out the motion picture association saw the movie and they really regretted their decision on giving this film an r rating they thought it was too graphic for uh what it was huh so that's why in the sequel, there's not as much gore because they felt like they got away with something for this movie. Mm-hmm. It didn't get the best reviews when it came out. In fact, Siskel and Ebert didn't like it, especially Gene Siskel. He hated the movie so much that in his review, he spoiled the ending. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he also gave the audience or gave the readers of his article the address of Betsy Palmer so <gasps> they could write letters to her to protest the movie and how awful it is. Oh my gosh. Apparently, he published the wrong address, though. So some random person just got all these letters to to Betsy Palmer. Yeah. And also, it uh, got nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Movie of the Year. Did not win. But it has spawned a bunch of sequels. I believe there are 11 movies and a remake. Hmm. The remake movie that came out over 10 years ago now sort of combines parts one two and three in the remake Mm -hmm. but yeah that's it that's friday the 13th very nice very nice 
Well, we hope you all enjoy that episode about Friday the 13th. Inthea, where can everyone find us? You can find us on the interwebs at podsandmonsters.com. On Instagram, we are at podsandmonsterspodcast. And on Facebook and Twitter, we are at podsandmonsters. Feel free to drop us a line at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. And you can find us on Podbean, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a moment and you have been enjoying us and would like to give us five stars on iTunes, we'd greatly appreciate it. And if you have any time, please um, rate and review us. It helps us get seen and whatnot. And Or if you are not into that, just share with your friends. That'd be awesome. We do have our list up for the remainder of the year. And I think that's all I got. All right. For Pods and Monsters, I'm Robert. I'm Inthea. And let's do a little uh, campfire song before we leave. You ready? Nope. We run, we jump, we swim and play. We row and go on trips. But the thing that lasts forever are our dear friend Chips. <laughs> Camp Crystal Lake, we hold you in our hearts. And when we think about you, it makes me want to fart. All right, goodbye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. See ya. See ya. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Jason's going away. <laughs> You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. <laughs>